Hello? Okay. I got to go to this forum yesterday about, like, the state of people with disabilities here in Denton. And it was in here. And I actually learned that all of the art, like, that we see is done by people with disabilities in our community. And if you guys want to buy it, I know it's on sale right now. So I thought that would be really cool to announce to us because we get to see it every day. So all of the money goes to the state school here in Denton. So, yeah. All right. I doubt I'll get claps for my announcements. That was like a really special announcement. So uh, anyway, a couple announcements. Uh, first, we've done a terrible job at announcing this, but every year, for those of you who don't uh, uh, know or haven't been with us for a full year, we do a special contribution at the beginning of May. Uh, so we'll do that next week and the week after. I can't remember the dates, maybe like 4th and 12th. Who knows? Um, that's seven days apart. So if I got them wrong, I got them both wrong. Uh, but why we do the special contribution is because a lot of folks leave over the summer, uh, and uh, we keep going. We still got all the same expenses for staff and for our building and things like that. And so we like to, to collect usually between about six and eight thousand uh, dollars, so that we can buffer what we've lost uh, from from the year. Same thing with uh, our benevolence and things like that. So be thinking about that the next two weeks. If you haven't already given all your money to Spring Hito or Sikkim Showcase, if you got a little bit extra, uh, you can make some sacrifices these next few weeks. Uh, give to our special contribution. It's not going to be anything really out of the, the norm in terms of how we'll do it. We'll probably just pass a special envelope, uh, and then uh, you can always, on the uh, card swiper, put a note in there for the special contribution, okay? So I, with that said, I'm going to pass the basket for our offering. So special contribution uh, next weekend and then the weekend uh, after that. A couple other things is uh, we're going to do something uh, both similar and different this summer. We always ask the college students to join in our small groups over the summer. It's a great way for us to get to know you and be around you uh, because we don't often get to do that outside of this meeting. So for those of you who are sticking around for the summer and you're a college student, please come to one of our small groups. The part of that that's different is that rather than creating new small groups this summer, we're going to continue on with the small groups that the adults had the last semester. And so you'll be going into a group of adults that pretty much know each other, or at least somewhat well. They've been together for a year. And I think that will make things uh, more easy for you to come in and for them to get to know you and you to know the group. And so we'll meet five official times over the summer. We're probably not going to do anything real topical. We're going to do just uh, reading the scripture together aloud. And then uh, that will be something that, uh, that we really, really, really want you college students to be a part of over the summer if you can make it a priority. All right? We don't meet on Thursdays when focus is... So most of our groups are, well, actually all of our groups are Tuesday and Wednesday. And so uh, pick one of those groups that would fit with your schedule and join in on our adult small groups over the summer, yeah? One of the things we're going to do next year we're thinking about, I like this idea. Keep talking. Okay. Yeah, that's normal. Um, is uh, we're going to probably on the first Sunday of every month uh, meet in those small groups, uh, adults and uh, college students together, kind of like totally taking the idea that Arlington had for their family groups and implementing them kind of in a different way. Okay. Put it in my pocket. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, so uh, that's going to be something else that we'll try to do that will en uh, uh, enable us, uh, both college students and adults, to sort of get together more uh, and be around each other and learn from each other, that kind of thing. So that'll be upcoming, uh, but definitely uh, we'll announce those small groups starting next week, and you can decide which one you want to go to. The other thing is we don't have any topics for the summer for our series, which we normally do. Leslie takes a month, I take a month. So if you've got any ideas, things you want to talk about. We did a whole month on alcohol last year, and that seemed to go well. Um, but that's just kind of, a, I mean, it was sort of random. 
And so if there's anything uh, that you want us to specifically talk about or address or, you know, just have ideas in general, please let us know. Cool? Same thing over the, 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 uh, this uh, fall semester, next semester. I have no strong inspiration for what we ought to talk about. So uh, tell me. Let's hear from you what it is that we should be doing. All right, guys, we've got two weeks left in this sermon series. And honestly, I wasn't plan, uh, prepared necessary to speak this week as um, I thought we were going to have a speaker, and unfortunately, he had to cancel, and so that happens. Uh, so I am going to preach, but the good news is my plan is 15 minutes. I don't have much material. And in fact, I might not even read my material because apparently I'm too hard to understand. Uh, so maybe I'll try to really, really, really make myself understandable this morning, more so than, than regularly. So we've got two more topics. They're, they're the last two chapters, well, not the last two chapters of the book, Romans 13 and Romans 14. We've already done 15 and 16. If you remember, we did at the very beginning of the series, which is super strange and weird. Uh, we're going to talk about the last two and probably the most controversial two chapters for our day and age, okay? First one, the submission to governing authorities, and the second one on accepting the weak uh, and uh, talking about what that looks like. So let's read through uh, Romans 13, which is very, very short. We're actually not going to read through all of it. We're just going to read through verse 10. And as we're reading through, I'm just going to kind of share some ideas with you and maybe open it up for uh, questions at the end if you, uh, if you have some of those. All right, so everyone must submit... Oh, uh, I actually kind of like the NIV for this one, because um, it has a line in it that, uh, that's really stuck with me, at least this week. And the NRSV doesn't really translate the same way, so I'm reading the NIV, but and even the message gets a little bit lost, I think. <coughs> Excuse me. So, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. If you want to be free from fear of the one in authority, then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And this I want you to remember and possibly even write down and memorize because I think it uh, in some ways sums up the entirety of what we're trying to accomplish with the politics sermons from uh, Romans, all right? Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there are, Uh, there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. All right, now this is a problematic passage. If if it's something that you want to dig into a little bit more uh, kind of devotionally, uh, we did this last week in our worship, alternate worship experience, awe. 
and uh, there's a number of little prompts that you can kind of uh, go through. But hopefully, if you've read this, you understand how problematic it really is, okay? There are a number of statements in here that I don't think any of us would naturally agree with, right? And so it's really difficult for us to figure out what exactly Paul is talking about. How can a guy who has been in jail off and on, been run out of cities, uh, been mistreated, okay, been beaten, abused by authority figures, and not only that, but ultimately serve a Lord who himself was killed by authority figures, could possibly say that these authority figures were doing what God uh, wanted them to do. I mean, that just doesn't make sense, right? And thankfully, we have a lot of other scripture, not just these sort of, you know, short selections where uh, we're stuck with that, well, this is what's been said about it. Paul certainly at the beginning of Romans talks about how society can be evil, uh, talks throughout Romans about how society can be corrupt. And so we've got to kind of balance those, those ideas, all right? But I want to go back through this and I want to attempt to uh, answer really two questions. Number one, what the heck does it mean to let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another? Because that's an interesting statement. Number one, that means that all of us are in debt, all right? And we're just in debt. And, and Paul is going to talk about this kind of in two ways. This practical way, which some of us can understand. We owe taxes, we owe revenue, blah, 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 whatever else. We'll talk about that next week as we talk about our economic system, the whole idea of giving and uh, taking care of the needy, the welfare system, things like that. But what's more interesting is that Paul says we are in debt personally to respect and honor people according to the respect and honor they're due. Now, this is actually a really, 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 really interesting idea. Number one, because we don't tend to think of debt like that, okay? Number two, because it's really probably hard for us to really figure out what debts we have to other people in regard to honor and respect. Like, if you were to just, you know, write down maybe a few people in your life that you ought to honor and respect, we might get some, you know, kind of general ideas, parents, friends, things like that. But Paul's saying we have a continuing debt to respect and honor the authorities around us. And it's a debt that the good thing is we can fulfill it. It's not continual like the love debt, but it is a debt nonetheless, a debt that we have to fulfill according to Paul. Now, most of us tend not to think of respect and honor extending out to the various authority, authority figures and authorities, particularly when it comes to political figures, all right? We just tend not to think we ought to respect or honor any political figures. In some ways, because our society suggests that, you know, I mean, it's statements like uh, politics is Hollywood for ugly people. You ever heard that before, right? I really do love that because, you know, sometimes it seems to be true. Uh, but that's obviously not a very respectful statement, right? So I don't love it. I, actually, I'm sorry, I don't love it. I actually hate that statement. Okay, so that's one. Let this debt not remain outstanding. Let's fulfill it, move on, and recognize that undergirding that or founding uh, the foundation of all that is that we're never going to be able to fulfill the debt of continuing to love one another. Why can't we fulfill that debt? Well, there's two reasons. One, because none of us really know how to love properly. That's the whole point of God's spirit and character being in us, is that we're growing in our understanding of how to really love people. And therefore, that debt will never be discharged, okay? Uh, but two, it's because it is the thing that supports all other things. It's the thing that founds our submission, respect, and honor for other people. 
is that we're continually fulfilling the law. All those laws about what not to do in the Old Testament are fulfilled by Paul in loving continually one another and seeing that as a debt that we have, okay, to love one another. The second question, and I think the one that uh, is probably harder of the two, is how can we respect a society that is obviously not like the society that Paul is talking about here? And what society is ever like the society Paul is talking about here? This is what's led a lot of people to suggest that what Paul is really talking about here are probably two things. One is sort of the ideal society, whatever that is, okay? Or generally speaking, just society at its best ought to work like this, all right? But guys, he's talking about one of the most oppressive regimes that's ever existed in terms of conquering people, uh, you know, uh, totally obliterating some in, in terms of cultures and things like that. And then on the other hand, adopting a lot and bringing them in and then just sort of accepting anything they believe. So Paul is dealing with very much a society here that is worse than ours, okay, in many ways, worse than some of the societies we have currently, but also has some really good and positive and obviously helpful things about it. And so if he, having received the direct kind of persecution from the state that he does, can have this kind of faithful mentality or attitude towards Rome, we really kind of don't have any excuse in the society that we're in now, all right? And so I I say that to say that uh, these things that he's suggesting are certainly not somehow in a bubble uh, or outside of his experience. At this time, he's about to like sort of really end his career and realizes this is going to end uh, in death uh, or at least has some uh, semblance of, of that fact that's about to happen. So those are our two things. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And how can we respect a society that has its own interests? Well, I want to suggest to you that there's kind of two approaches on this, all right? At least that I've seen. And maybe it's just two approaches because it's an easy sermon, you know, point one, point two. Or, does someone just take a picture of me? Because that was kind of strange. No? All right. Oh, glare. Okay. Um, so, two perspectives. Maybe it's just easier to see this because at any given time, We may see others as one or the other of these. Maybe we have kind of interacted with both of these perspectives throughout uh, our life, whatever. But I want to suggest that there's two perspectives to this, two sort of, um, uh, I guess, like missing the mark on what Paul is saying here. The first one is, I think, an over-focus on the fact that Paul is talking about society being established by God. Certainly, it doesn't take long in American history, some 70, 80 years, or even 20, 30 years, to recognize that a lot of, whether they were well-meaning Christians or not, believe that we ought to do nothing about the civil rights legislation, or more recently about gay marriage, because, well, society is established by God, and we ought to obey the laws of our society, as if societal laws don't change with our voting and things like that. But the idea that God established what's here and, and somehow the irony of this idea is that as time goes on, God is less establishing what's here. I don't really know how that works, but Melissa talked a lot about that two weeks ago. And if you want to uh, mention that, you can, or, or go back and, and reference that, you can. The mistake here is something that Grant brought up in our exploratory group uh, last week. And that's the idea that when Paul talks about submission, I do not think he's talking about obedience, Submission and obedience, what's the difference? Submission, I think, is clearly I'm going to do this even though I don't necessarily think it's the best thing to do. Obedience is about I'm going to do this because you told me to do this. 
And it was some suggestion of, well, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. I don't know, but I'm just going to obey and do it and, get, and kind of get it over with. Paul is talking about us submitting to authorities and not necessarily obeying them at every turn. But I think what folks have done when they've used this to propel or prop up the idea that society is established by God and is good, they've, they've tried to kind of err on the side of, well, let's just obey everything society says for us to do because somehow that's what God wants us to do. And I don't think we've got to go that far uh, to get to where Paul is talking about. The second part of that, and I think the part that many of you are more into, and those of us who are millennials are more into, is let's rebel against the parts of society that are wrong. Because in essence, what Paul is saying is that authorities, when they want to, uh, uh, when, when uh, they're good authorities, they want people to do what's right, and you have nothing to fear if you do what's right. So naturally, if an authority is wrong, then we have every reason to rebel against them, knowing that, that they've, they've kind of wandered off the path where God wanted them to be working in the first place. So we have every right to rebel or protest against what we see in our authorities that are not godly, not God-given, that kind of thing. You tracking with me? Or is this too hard? Two ideas, opposing ideas. Some of you are like, it's not too hard. I'm just falling asleep. That's a different thing. Uh, God establishes these authorities. That's one way of looking at it, right? And, and in that, that's the, the thought that, well, we ought to do what society tells us to do. Society is this sort of good thing. Or we rebel against the things in society that are wrong, Okay. And, and Paul is trying to bring these two ideas together into kind of a, um, not like a middle ground, but more of a how would a godly Christian view their role in society? Because it's natural for us to think in terms of one of those two perspectives. In part, the older you get, the more you trust society. And, well, that's a really terrible way of putting it. The let, let's say the more you mistrust new changes about culture and things that are going on. The younger you are, the more you want to change things in your own culture's image, your ideal, and identity, right? That's just kind of part of youth and age and those kinds of things. Now, I say that to say uh, that these perspectives tend to be a little bit, you know, sort of age-based, and I won't go too, too far into that. We'll just leave it at that. All right, so the good of the establishes perspective, real quick. Honestly, it's a respect and honor for authority. Guys, a lot of us millennials do not appreciate the society we live in. We have found more comfort in criticizing our society and thinking of it as mostly bad than we have of a good society. That does two things. Number one, it fails to recognize not only how far we've come as a society, but just how much better our society is than so many of the other societies that people live in. Now, we can make an argument all day long about how we're not as good compared to the industrialized, other industrialized nations, how we have a whole many, a lot of poor people, how people think we're a good society because we've McDonaldized that idea and globalized it, and then they come here and they realize it's not near as good as they thought. Sure, fine, let's all talk about that and let's be okay with it. But at the end of the day, Paul sees his society, which is a very bad society, as still being established by God. And, and that's not to say that every authority figure or everything, or I mean, we can make the really general argument that the, the society is established in the way that all societies have to have some structure or government in order to exist. And even if that's all you can agree on from this passage, fine. God still establishes societies and has worked in them from day one in terms of how he works in societies, just works in them. For good, for bad, all of those things, or well, for good or for bad compared to what you think, about what ought to happen, 
God works in societies. And so the nice thing about those who uh, believe in this whole establishment idea is that they have just a tendency to respect and honor more authorities in our society. Now, again, there's an irony in this because it's often respecting the authorities uh, that they themselves agree with and, you know, and honoring them, right? So it's institutions. This is one of those big deals with police officers in our society. I watched that. That's like the only TV show I watch is the, uh, I can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, shoot. Live PD on Sling TV. Live PD. Anyone watch Live PD? It's basically like Cops 2.0, all right? Now, I know the show has an agenda. I know it's live TV, which really means reality TV. But I'm amazed at how awful people treat police officers. I mean, if you watch this show just for like one or two episodes, you'll realize just how ridiculous people are in their treatment of police officers. And uh, it's really unfortunate and sad that we think that because some police officers are bad and there's a culture of corruption in large cities, that all police officers are bad or all the things that they do all the time are bad. Uh, it's really unfortunate. But I see this kind of attitude uh, in a lot of young people who rightly so just, uh, you know, want to protest the way cops treat people, and yet that kind of attitude has licensed a whole lot of people to just be absolutely, uh, uh, I don't know, man, belligerent when it comes to de dealing with police officers. Just watch that show, just one, one or two on Sling TV, or just find a few episodes. The kind of stuff that they have to deal with, no thanks, not into that. So respect and honor for authority. What does it look like for us to really give respect and honor to people in our society? And Paul is not saying this just comes to, down to authority. He's saying it comes down to everybody. What does it look like for me to sit at a table at a restaurant and respect the person serving me? Giving them the due respect they deserve for number one, having to deal with someone like me who wants like five things and can't ever ask for all of them at once, which would be the most sound thing possible, but has unrealistic expectations about how I'm the most important person in the restaurant and therefore everything ought to be done perfectly and in the right amount of time and blah, 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 blah. I sat and watched a guy yesterday at Northern Tool for, I mean, well, I, didn't, well, I could only watch him for 15 or 20 minutes because that's how long I had to wait in line, refused to give these people his phone number, a real phone number, or his full name. He wanted the first name, and the address, and said, that's all I'm going to give you. And he was setting up a commercial account. And he's like, oh man, you know, this place does it, that place does it, you don't need this. I mean, a full argument. That I mean, at the time that this was all over, there were like four or five people around. I really should have spoke up, and I wanted to. I chose not to, because I realized it would only be out of anger, and I would not have said the right thing. Um, and, but I just think about the, the, the fact that these are folks who are working a shift late at night at a northern tool, uh, you know, did, did this fella, person, uh, do I really ever give people the respect and honor that they deserve? And if not, then I'm bankrupting on my debt that I've been given uh, from God. I'm just bankrupting on it. Just totally like I would not pay a debt to someone, simply not paying the debt. At least that's what Paul's saying. I owe that to that person according to how I ought to work in the world and part of God's kingdom. And that's, that's kind of a, a strange and, and crazy idea to me. The bad side of this whole establishes perspective is that folks start worrying more about being a good citizen than they do a godly Christian. Uh, they worry more about adopting American values and being successful in American way rather than really imaging and reflecting God. And that's a problem. Because at our 
best, our society only has a small vision of what it means to be a kingdom citizen, at best. And this is one of the problems we've talked about throughout our time here is that a lot of well-meaning Christians are are more concerned about being hardworking and patriotic than they are about being hardworking for others and finding their identity in Christ and being a Christian, not an American. And that's a real problem. And we know that, and I think it makes sense to us, uh, but we're more concerned with being a good citizen. So the outstanding debt, true religion cares for, not condemns our neighbors. The outstanding debt, if you are someone who kind of buys into this, God's established society and society is good, that's fine. Uh, But your debt is still not to society itself, okay, as, as, uh, you know, uh, Paul is saying here, but your society is to your neighbors. It's what we talked about at the the, uh, uh, worship uh, service last week. It's the neighbors, according to the Samaritan, are people who you don't interact with, who are overlooked, who don't naturally, uh, you know, care much or pay much attention to. True religion cares for, not condemns our neighbors, And Paul here is saying the whole law is wrapped up in this idea that we care for our neighbors and we don't condemn them. One of the ideas that's come out of this establishment group, I think in the last, and you've even heard it in this sermon series, is that Christians are increasingly persecuted in our society. Uh, I don't really think that's true, Uh, at least not at face value. Conservative Christian values have certainly been persecuted. Christian values or just the whole idea of faith in general sure has been persecuted. Um, But the idea that somehow Christians are a target group in our society makes no sense considering we still have about 75% of people in our society who are Christian. And the largest segment of any specific religious group is still evangelicals at 22%. I don't know how you can be in a society that persecutes Christians when they're the majority. Maybe you feel persecuted from Hollywood. Maybe you feel persecuted from groups that are more outspoken. But the idea that Christians are persecuted in our society is a strange, strange idea in my mind. But here's the thing. Even if you do feel that way, and maybe even experience it in certain areas you're in, because that's more common, is that you feel persecution or experience persecution in some environment you're in, which makes sense, and isn't making that global American, you know, statement. The real question, guys, is why are you so concerned about persecution? Why is it a problem for us to be persecuted in our society? Practically speaking, Christianity has gone back to its roots and grown more in situations of persecution than any others. We've got folks all across the world who are being persecuted for their faith and see it as sharing in Christ's suffering. So much of the scripture talks about persecution on the same level with any other spiritual or character thing that we would experience. We have to suffer to understand what Christ is doing. So do we feel like we have to make up the fact that we're suffering? Do, what, what is that? But why is suffering at its core some bad thing that we ought to worry about? I think there's a good answer to it. And the answer is that if, if our society really begins to persecute Christians, it will in some ways make it harder for some to access God. People in our society have an almost unlimited ability to access Christianity and God in our society, and that's really good and really positive and really encouraging. But I don't think most people, that's what they're worried about when they talk about persecution. 
I think what they're worried about is they're losing their power. They're losing their honor. They're losing their respect. And that is not why we ought to worry about persecution at all. It's just not, okay? Who cares if those things go? If somehow Christianity loses more respect and honor than before, that'll maybe even make us more attuned to this idea that we ought to pay respect and honor to people who don't already have it. So the second group, and this is the group that I'm really talking to because it's most of you, this rebels against what's wrong in society. Guys, at its best, it's civil disobedience. It's M.O.K. and his amazing ability to say and balance out the demands of Marcus Garvey on one hand, and let's just fight against everybody. And the Black you know, Baptist Church Association was, let's just kind of keep this cool and not deal with it. We'll deal with it in like 10 or 20 or 30 years. And to be able to take both of those groups and get you know, uh, 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 abused and oppressed by both of them on top of society as a whole, be able to walk with in submission to, to uh, society's rules so long as they were submissible, and then protest along the way. And this is one of the most challenging lessons to me because I am in no way a submissive person, not even like a little bit. I am overly non-submissive. I'm overly, what's the word? The, like, no, not dominant, uh, not aggressive, insubordinate. Yeah, yeah. I've been fired a couple times and that was kind of the thing, insubordinate. Um, and I say that with a smile, but uh, unfortunately, it's caused a lot of havoc in my life, okay? And one of the things I have had to learn, which I have learned mentally, but still actually not put it into much practice, is that in order to truly make changes of significance around you, you have to submit to the authorities and protest from within, not from outside. People can always discount your argument by your lack of submission. They don't pay attention to the content of the argument. They're just saying, look at this person. He's just come to rebel. He's a zealot. He's a Judas. He just wants to you know, turn the system upside down. And I can do that all day long and feel good about my telling people off and doing what you know, needs to be done. But in all, in, in, in all realistic you know, uh, consequences of that, it's only been to just make myself feel good and make sure that everyone knows they can't oppress me and to make sure I know myself that I won't be oppressed. And yet the scripture talks about a much higher level of protest than that in the scripture of not just putting off all these authorities as if once I'm free from authority, somehow I can live a true life and a great life, but being able to protest with, from within and submit to authorities and change their very hearts in the process. This was all of those slave and master, uh, you know, scriptures in the uh, New Testament that our society completely misses is how the household uh, man should treat the people in his household way differently than before treat them with respect and honor and dignity in a society that had no opportunities for that. And of course, we read those passages as completely the opposite, which is very strange, but uh, at its best, it's civil disobedience. It's submitting but protesting what's not good. At its be uh, worst part, it's just simply zealousness for change, not for God. It's change according to what I think ought to be done, what my society thinks ought to be done. And guess what, guys? If you've accomplished that 30 years later, there's no guarantee that the generation after you will continue it. What have you accomplished? 
if you can't get down to the hearts of authority and of leaders and really change how they're gonna think so that they pass that on to their kids, all you've done is change legislation for a time period and then our next new problem comes up or it reverses back to where it used to be. We're seeing even some of that today in our own dealing, uh, uh, dealings, I think, with race and things like that, a reverse in some ways. But it's zealous for change, not for God. That was Judas, right? Judas ultimately was a zealot. That was his identity. He gave up Christ because when he realized Jesus wasn't going to change the immediate environment and the way he thought ought to be done, Jesus was of no use to him anymore. And when we're zealots, uh, you know, our, our identity, our group's identity, our agenda uh, falls uh, as the most important and God having any room for establishment and working through authorities disappears out the window. And for most of us, if we're honest, that's what we believe. We have a sort of practical atheism about our society. If we don't change it, if we don't accomplish it, God's not gonna do it, he's not that concerned. And whereas the first society thinks somehow God's, uh, the establishment, God's approved of America, he's covenanted with America, and anything America does is good, which God doesn't do and hasn't since Israel and didn't before that, we're on the other end where God just sort of left America on its own. And, and I keep saying America, which is, I'm so, I know, isn't that terrible? I know, being that stuff, you're like, yeah, that's, yeah. Sorry, the U.S., okay? I realize we're not the only country in America. So the outstanding debt here, as I wrap up. Again, the outstanding debt. True religion cares for, not condemns our neighbors, cares for, not condemns our neighbors. What does it look like for some of you who rebel against the bad in our society to care for your neighbors? That conservative old man neighbor who constantly tells you you're an idiot. Okay? All right? Whatever, whoever that is, you know? That person on Facebook that always posts those things, you know, that you don't agree with. Do you respect them? Do you give them honor, at least the honor that they deserve? Again, it goes back down to the question of what's my real concern? As someone rebelling against the thing in society, do I really care about protecting those people who have no protections? Or am I more concerned about protecting what I want to protect, or even worse, being seen as progressive? There is this cancer in a lot of liberal conversation among young people today as I don't want to say anything that's going to possibly make me look like I'm not progressive. I'm not wanting to change. I'm not in on being woke. Oh, I used that word. I'm sorry. For a variety of other issues other than just race. And for a lot of us, that's why we believe some of the things we believe. It's not about protecting people. It's not about caring for people, having concern. It's ultimately a protection of our self-identity and not being rejected, and we've got to deal with that and disentangle it to get where Paul is saying we ought to get with society. We have an outstanding debt, an outstanding debt to love our neighbors. So with that said, I, that was a 21-minute sermon, which is pretty sweet. I'm awesome. Um, <laughs> questions, comments, thoughts about that before we, uh, we end up? Because that was, uh, you know, a little bit theoretical in some ways and not so practical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, just that in, in uh, you know, let's just say the older you get, the less you care so much. Well, you know, that's not even completely true, right? Because I've got a lot of old friends who, you know, uh, it's not cool. Okay, well, let me just say this. I have a lot of customers who are old white men 
who are very conservative, rule, the kind of stereotypical deal, right? And I think you wonder how much of that really is about identity and about growing up in an environment and still being in an environment where if you, you know, said anything sort of liberal, uh, people would, would you know, uh, get onto you. So I'm not going to say that necessarily because I don't think that's necessarily fair. What I will say is that the whole idea of self-protection is about when we're talking about conversations with people, particularly when we're young and don't have near as much of an identity built up, we want to come across as being uh, progressive and as being um, uh, open and knowledgeable about issues. And a lot of times what that means is that we uh, will just sort of accept what's going on around us. And I will say this, guys, you millennials, you, I say you because I really feel more like a Gen Xer. I'm like right on the line, all right? Uh, but millennials are far, and I mean far more liberal than the generation before you at your same age. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But that should make all of you question immediately anytime you have a liberal view on something. Are you really waking up with a liberal view on this? Or do, were you raised in a liberal environment that made you decide? And I'm using liberal here super loosely. You know what I mean, I think. And I don't even know what I mean. Um, but I'm simply saying you have a lot of liberal ideas about the way the world works and, and how it... Guys, the fact that we even have two uh, Democratic candidates that believe socialism is right for our society would in the 60s... You don't even understand. They'd be shot and killed probably uh, and, and you know, never to return. That whole idea is... And I'm not even going to get into it. Maybe I, actually, I will get into socialism next week. I, I can't possibly not. Um, it'll be our last time that we talk about, uh, and then we'll just all leave and part companies, <laughs> see who comes back uh, next semester. But it's, it's, it's about being able to really ask good questions and not allow my identity to be so wrapped up in being on par with what everyone else around me sort of says. I think there's a huge pressure among young people today, more than maybe the last two or three generations, to be a certain political have a uh, political leaning than, than before. And I think the Pew Research really shows that to be true. Yes, people are generally uh, liberal when they're younger, but you guys are more liberal by far than your parents were liberal, and they were the sexual revolution crazies, right? Were they? Were that my parents? Y'all's parents, what the heck were y'all's parents? Oh, no, oil and gas crisis, 70s. <laughs> it's not a generation, I'm sorry. It's... Yeah, 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 Margo about uh, uh, what in general, just at all? What kinds of questions? <laughs> about politics, about submission, about honor, do, respect, or? My favorite is like, and this is a weird way of saying it, so you've got to say it in a way that's not as aggressive, but the basic idea is wh what authority uh, you know, do you have to, to sort of believe that? Because one of the biggest problems, I think, with liberalism in our day and age is not that it's not well thought out, well, it is that it's not well thought out liberalism. Liberalism's great, I mean, I, you know, uh, the political parties, I think, have done a lot in our society to be kind of the two butting heads that work. And this whole two-party political system that people like bemoan, guys, it's not a bad system. It gets bad when people don't listen to each other's ideas. But there's been a lot of, of bipartisanship from local up to uh, federal level throughout our history and from one year to the next, whether it's being talked about or presented at all. And bipartisanship is great. Our society is supposed to work with people butting heads on either side. That's just how it's, it's the, you know, it's just good. And so if you're a, a, a Republican and you don't appreciate Democratic views, well, you don't understand the system. If you're a Democrat and don't appreciate Republican views, you don't understand the system. 
You haven't figured it out yet. But one of the most important questions for today is what, where, where's the authority for that? Part of the reason why liberals have liberal ideologies is because postmodernism tends towards liberalism. Postmodernism being, well, I don't really need an authority or an established you know, reason to believe something. I believe it because it's true to me. That's a terrible idea. I mean, nobody actually does that in anything other than religion and politics, which are like the two worst areas for you to do that. Uh, but that's what we do it. You can't do it in a relationship. No one would get away with that. Think about two people living together. Well, it's right for me, it's right for me, it's right for you, it can be right for you. Yeah, good luck. You don't have a great marriage. Um, but we do it in politics and religion, which is really, really strange. So asking that question in some way that's like maybe a little less aggressive, like what authority do you have to believe that? And by authority, we, have, we, we mistake authority for like source of information. Uh, I mean, that can be an authority, a source for information, but oftentimes authority means like, so where's the core and, uh, and source of, of this idea and this belief in your mind? Most of us, we would be very scared if we were to have to cite, and I do this with my college students, the top five political beliefs we have, and then what source you have for those beliefs. Okay, yeah, it's like, that we should make us all more moderate, okay? Uh, all more moderate. Uh, because we would really start to think that, you know, we don't really have good reasons to believe a lot of what we, what we believe. We pick it up like sponges from people, from society, from classes, from whatever that is. And be, if we're really realistic about that stuff, it's kind of scary. Well, my dad said that. My professor said that. My, like, oh, these are not necessarily good authorities. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the real big deal is I, most of the political conversations I have, uh, which are person to person, are pretty congenial. I mean, I don't know why it's hard for people to talk about politics or religion um, when it comes to face to face. I mean, you know, a lot of times our bodies and our, you know, it's like, it's like I had this guy in um, my core who is our, um, this is back like, uh, like probably 20 years ago now. Now I was 15, uh, 16. Now it says 18 years ago. It does not matter. He was our spokesman for our core, all right? Like our, our, our spokesman. He called people. He did stuff. This is how he would answer the phone. Hey. Hey, man. Um, we're going to do this thing this week. And you can come if you want. All right. I'm like, Daniel, dude, you're our spokesperson. If you call people with this attitude of like, who cares? Which I know you don't believe, but that's how your voice communicates. People are going to not care. It's just this weird thing that we do where we mirror voice in conversations. And so often in conversations, it's about not being overly cynical about stuff like, oh, no one's going to get to the right point about this. And Grant covered a whole lot of this in this, uh, his class uh, these last couple of weeks. And the one or two of you who actually went, you would have learned this already. Um, but it's also material online that he posted, which you can look at. But mirroring is always a good thing. And the authority question I just I thought in my mind, one of the great ones is, how did you come to believe that about that thing? And what you'll see most people do if you haven't cornered them, okay, is backpedaling and starting to sort of like open up doors for, oh, yeah, there's a lot of gaps in my understanding about that, you know, and you have conversation about it. It's great. Um, and, you know, but, but I think the main thing about the whole postmodern thing is, you know, it's, we, we, there's so much identity wrapped up in religion and politics that we get very scared when we have to start talking about it because we start seeing like someone's attacking our identity or taking pieces of our identity out, and that doesn't feel good. Any others? Before we finish up? Mm -hmm. So the idea was that in, in any of the time you read the church fathers, like the church fathers are a little bit like jihadists, okay? Um, 
the idea is if I can just sort of like get killed for my faith, things are going to be super good after. And I don't make light of that. That's really what the church fathers, a lot of them believed. Uh, this whole idea of asceticism, and you got to have to understand some of the background for it, but Grant was just saying that Origen, who you know, was written probably more than any other church father, although be careful because he has some crazy ideas, um, thought of his main thing he can give to God was going out and being martyred for his faith. And his mom had to kind of talk him out of that. And so the idea of that as being real persecution in a society where that was a real uh, option can make, make us think a little bit about, uh, about that. Yeah, I know, super funny, right? <laughs> I know, I'm just kind of messing with you. All right, uh, any others before we, uh, we do communion? This is a great conversation to have, to talk through, uh, to think through. Um, again, I think this passage more than anyone is really helpful for uh, striking a real positive tone, for really thinking about politics, being humble, and just remembering, guys, we owe a debt to the people around us. And that debt is not a debt that, you know, uh, we went out and necessarily like God, it's a debt God has given us, okay, to treat people with respect and to honor them, uh, of which I am a huge offender of not doing, okay? And, uh, but we have that, and that debt can be paid. It can be paid, but the debt to love one another continually will never be paid as God, uh, you know, uh, develops that in us, uh, and that should uh, sort of found all of our, uh, our other ideas about this. So we're going to take communion now. Many of you know we, uh, we do the, the bread and uh, uh, the juice, and you just dip that in, and then we'll come back together and we'll uh, spend some time uh, singing. But in regard to this topic, you just think about, and uh, I had some of you guys think about this last week, although maybe it was a little bit of an add-on because of Easter. Um, these ideas for us, guys, still are pretty, like, theoretical. I want you to think about the way that Jesus must have felt about having to interact with these ideas during his lifetime. I mean, Jesus was persecuted by every authority around him at the time. And for him to be able to give to Paul this idea of submitting to authorities. I, we mentioned in our uh, group um, not too long ago about Jesus like uh, being slapped for talking to the uh, synagogue ruler in a, a disrespectful way and then apologizing because he didn't know it was a synagogue ruler. Guys, that's our God that we're talking about here. That is unbelievable power in, in being gentle and strength, to be able to do that uh, and be on, on the receiving end of that. I would have gone, never mind, before that. Um, Lord God, you are so good, and you have modeled for us, not in words, but in a life of submission and paying honor and respect to those who deserve it even in the midst of disagreeing with them. Lord, help us regain some sanity in our political conversations, if nothing more than just in our church, so that we can really, really get to the bottom uh, of issues that plague us, of things that need to be changed. Um, please just help us follow your model. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.